0: Welcome to Raising Our Voices for Health Equity, a new podcast series presented by Vaz Advisors. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. As we launch into our new series, we thought it would help to level set on some important definitions and set the stage for future episodes. We are honored to be joined today by Dr. Christopher King, inaugural Dean of the Georgetown University School of Health to help us do just that. Prior to his role as Dean, Christopher served as Chair of the Department of Health Systems Administration at Georgetown. Christopher also served as director for Greater Baden Medical Services and FQHC in Southern Maryland. Christopher is a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives, and he currently serves as secretary of the DC Hospital Association Board of Directors. He has also been an advisor for the DC Department of Health State Innovation Model, Adventist Healthcare Center for Health Equity and Wellness, and the Maryland Governor's Wellmobile Program, In 2009, he was appointed as a commissioner for the District of Columbia Commission on Health Equity. In 2020, he authored Health Disparities in the Black Community, An Imperative for Racial Equity. And most recently, his work on race, place, and structural racism in the District of Columbia was published in Health Affairs, the nation's leading peer reviewed journal on health, healthcare, and policy. Dr. Christopher King, welcome to the show today.
1: Thank you, Kim. It's good to be here. Good to see well, you. Let's jump
0: in. We have a lot to cover today, Christopher. So um, I want to do some level setting to start. Uh, since the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and others in the onset of a global pandemic, uh, there has been heightened awareness of inequities and injustices in our country, and particularly in our healthcare system. We are hearing more and more about health equity. Christopher, please tell us what is health equity and why is it important?
1: Yeah, it's very important. Um, so health equity really means, you know, how do we get to a world where all people can achieve their full health status, full health status, regardless of their race, their gender, their sexual identity. And for so long, I mean, these issues have have been in existence for a long time, but COVID and, and, and the killings that you just referenced um, have amplified conditions in which all people don't have equal access to opportunity. And when folks don't have access to opportunity, or when folks are marginalized or disenfranchised, we see it play out in their health outcomes. And so if we're trying to eradicate these disparities, these measurable differences, and when we're looking at populations, we have to get to the inequitable conditions that cause those disparities. And that's looking at our system, the system in which we are accustomed to living, working, and playing in, and identifying where we are not uh, creating an environment where all people can thrive.
0: So so thank you for expanding on that a little bit, Christopher, I wanna layer in another sort of phrase or terminology that we hear about, um, which is social determinants of health. And people are kind of tossing <laughs> tossing this phrase around a little bit. I don't think we all understand it. So can yeah. you break it down for us a little bit? What are social determinants of health? Right. And can you give us some examples?
1: Absolutely. So you know our country we focus so much on medical care, like uh, what what happens within the walls of the medical institution. But we will not see significant improvements in the health of a population unless we're thinking beyond what's happening within the walls of an institution. I mentioned earlier where we live, learn, eat, work and play, right? So what does that environment look like? And so social determinants are social factors that we know drive health. They influence health more than medical care in most cases. And so social determinants, access to a high quality education. Do we have access to safe uh, and affordable housing? Do we have access to healthy foods? And are those foods affordable and are they in our communities? Do we have access to recreational facilities for exercise and health promotion? And so when you have a community that does not have those resources, those um, resources that, again, we know are key influencers of our health status, we're going to see poor health outcomes. And so it's important for us to, as we think about health and well-being of people and populations, we just can't restrict our thinking to medical care. It's much bigger than that. It's how do we create a society where we all can thrive?
0: And so you're saying that all that those factors ultimately will affect our health. I think also, Christopher, those factors um, are long embedded uh, in our society. So what you're saying it's not just about improving healthcare in the silo of healthcare, but improving all of the that sort of surround sound of all of those factors. Is that is that what you're saying?
1: Absolutely. And the medical care system has a responsibility as well, right? And so how do we create clinical care delivery systems that have the capacity to assess a patient's lived experience and what's happening in that patient's home before that patient is discharged, right? And making sure that there are resources and services available so that patient will not return. uh, You know, Readmissions is something we try to avoid, right? And so a lot of readmissions can be prevented if we have a much more holistic approach to how we think about delivering care.
0: Got it. Got it. Really helps to level set the conversation. we gone from the very, very big picture now. I just want to go to the personal for a minute, if you'll, if you'll indulge me, uh, Christopher. We've talked about some of these things in the past, but you know, you've been open about some of your own family's experiences with the healthcare system. I know you've been an advocate. You've been a strong support for family members. Um, do you have any first? Uh, hand anecdotes <laughs> that you'd care to share with our listeners oh. or reflections on your personal experience navigating yeah. the system?
1: You know, I have a PhD in health services administration, and you would think I know something, but I'll tell you, it's very different when you are in a situation. In this case, it's my mother. Um, I have been her advocate. I've been beside her on her journey. Uh, it's been three years now. Thank goodness she's cancer-free but there's been some side effects uh, from radiation that she's, that we're working on right now. But healthcare is very complex, right? It's a very complicated system, a very complex industry, and we're relying on all these different actors that will influence that patient's experience. And so the, 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 in that type of environment, the risk for a medical error or mistake is very high. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an environment where we can easily make mistakes if we don't have systems in place that are foolproof, that, are, that have checks and balances, uh, so that patients um, leave in a condition better than they were when they arrived. Um, so it's a complicated. Uh, my big takeaway, Kim, is that people, most people, most providers, everyone that works in the institution wakes up every day to do the best they can and deliver the best service but they're working in a system, in many cases, is flawed or archaic, and so um, and so that's an opportunity for us. And you know, we do this work at Georgetown. We're training future healthcare leaders, nursing, uh, nursing um, uh, nurses, physicians, health administrators that have an appreciation for the system of healthcare, knowing that. We have to think much bigger than just the work that we're doing in our departments, right? It's a, it's a, it's a very, very um, complex environment to work in.
0: Christopher, we are occasionally seeing that a person who is not from a historically marginalized community is sometimes charged with leading health equity, equity initiatives inside of their organization um it's just a fact right that that's the case that people in certain roles are being charged to advance this work i think some of them feel um that they're not you know they don't quite have the tools to do it or maybe not the right person to do it but they're still you know faced with those challenges what advice do you have for these folks how can they be an ally how can they right. uh, try to advance the work um, maybe bringing others around them you know what tips do you have for them if they're feeling a little out of their depth in that role
1: yeah first of all thank to those who are in, in 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 those positions and truly do want to do the right thing, thank you. Um, um, I think that humility is key. power shifting is key. The language that we use is key. For example, we don't say we're doing this for this community, right? The, just the way that we're using our our, our language. instead, we say we're the um, we are working with the community, or the community's leading, and we are just providing some resources that will help them find their way, right? Help the community find its way. And so, it, it, taking off the power hat, recognizing that you don't know all the answers. You know, I live in the community that I do a lot of work in. I, I don't know all the answers. Um, and so, um, identifying who's who in the community—that's something that we work on. And it's like every community has resources and assets. It's that person's responsibility to know who those people are, what are those assets in that community and be the convener for those types of, uh, of uh, create those spaces where, where the community can be productive and constructive in its work. Um, so I think the bottom line is take off the, take off the, I'm, I'm this, I, I know all the answers so I don't know the answers and I am here to serve. I'm here to serve. I think that is a, a competency that will take that individual, the one that you're referencing, a long way, and the community will appreciate
0: it. And I, I, I like I like that word. Um, also humility. Yeah. Do it with a sense of humility, and and right. that I don't know, and then I'm here to listen. I'm here to learn right. Right. and to be an ally. You know, right. with and not for. Absolutely. Um, I think that that that's really helpful. Uh, helpful advice, um, Christopher. There's been a proliferation of health equity initiatives uh, uh, recently. I think some are maybe working a little bit better than others. Um, We've seen some, I think, very big national commitments and announcements, and we've seen small sort of hyper-local efforts in communities. Are there a couple of examples of initiatives that you have seen that you could reference either within your own work at Georgetown or through other partnerships or actions in the community that you think are working, and and, and you know, and why? Are there some ingredients that you've seen that, that make for a, a good good recipe?
1: Yeah, I think that I always like to reference Prometica Health System in uh, in Ohio. Uh, they're doing some interesting work. Food insecurity was identified as an issue in their community, and so this is a health system, right? And so we know that some medications need to be taken on a full stomach, and for so long, we, the healthcare industry, we've been um, writing prescriptions for patients that, who, are, who are very vulnerable and just you know thinking that, or having an assumption that they have food, but, and we're giving them the medication, we're prescribing a medication that requires food. Um, and so that's what we've been doing for so long in this country Again, that's an example of what I mean about not having a holistic viewpoint and a perspective when treating patients. Anyway, this health system has a, a food pantry on the grounds of its of its premises. I mean, on their on their on their on, right in the hospital, and so if a patient has been identified as food insecure, that patient gets a prescription for food, a prescription for food, and 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 there's no there's no costs associated with that. That to me is, is, is the direction that we have to go in as we think about care for the whole patient. Um, and it makes sense, it's the right thing to do. Right? Food is medicine, right? The other uh, I would like to uh, uh, bring up is the work that's being done by the, uh, the Healthcare Anchor Network. This, this is a, a collaboration or a coalition of hospitals and health systems that are looking at how they can use their uh, resources as an anchor institution in their community to make a difference in communities that are histor- have, have been historically marginalized and underserved. And so they're looking at, they have a very comprehensive approach to how they're doing this. They're looking at employment. How do we uh, create pipelines for employment and career growth, targeting folks who are in communities that have been historically marginalized. They're looking at contracting and procurement services are looking at what those resources are in those communities and how can they support those resources. Uh, so, for example, if you have a small business owner that has a baking, this is a real, this is something that we did recently. It's a, it's a, 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 a female-owned baking bakery, and small. She just has like five employees, and she, she now has a contract with us. And to her and her and her company, it's a, it's, it's transformational. Um, and so it's going to allow her to invest in her community. And so it's, it's, it's thinking like that that needs to be done that can truly, truly be transformational for, for, for folks and communities that they're serving.
0: So I, I, I uh, love both of those examples. And I, th- I particularly love, just help me close the loop here, that Ohio example really goes back to that question about social determinants of health. So food insecurity is a social uh, determinant determinant of health. So they really tried to close the loop on that. And I, I love what you said. Talk about this a little bit more. How you said that, that, you know, perhaps prior in a healthcare institution, they said, you know, that's kind of not, not our problem. That's not my job. That's not our problem. But now you're saying that really we're taking this, pulling back the lens a little bit, taking a broader view of social determinants of health where healthcare institutions have to step up to close those gaps yes
1: absolutely and i have a lecture that i do kim it's it's the paradigm shift from medical care to healthcare where i say that we're we're providing medical care right now in the united states we're spending four, almost 4 trillion dollars almost two times more than, than than peer countries on on medical care we have not cracked the code on healthcare yet And so that's the work that I'm in, and that's the space I'm in. How do we go from medical care to health care? Because I think when we truly are providing health care, that $4 trillion price tag will not be $4 trillion. It'll be much less than $4 trillion because we're, we're focusing on prevention and wellness and creating healthy communities.
0: Well, I think you're going to have a lot of job security, Christopher, because that's a big hill to climb. (laughs) And so we're lucky to have people like you, um, you know, in that conversation. And in that vein, Christopher, I don't want to get political, but um, I would love to hear from you, you know, as we talk about solutions and think about solutions, what actions would you like to see from our current administration, policymakers, the hill to advance um, health equity? I'm also going to ask you a follow-on question. What about farm and biotech? Because I think they have a big role to play, but let's yeah, talk about we, the policymakers, the administration first. I think
1: I think that you know we have to know our history and 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 understand how our history has led us to many of the issues that we're dealing with today. And so communities all across this country have been intentionally uh, disenfranchised and marginalized, and that's where we see the poorest health outcomes. And so on a federal level, I'd like to see prioritization for how do we bring these communities, how do we invest in these communities so that we can address these issues, these very systemic issues, how do we prioritize? And I think there's a process. I think there's a way that we can do it. I don't have all the answers. Uh, and I don't know, if, I don't think there's one size that would fit all communities because all communities are different, but to prioritize and invest in communities that have intentionally been historically marginalized and disenfranchised. I think that'll make a big difference when it comes to improving health.
0: Great, terrific. Um, I, as I mentioned earlier, I think also pharma and biotech have a big role yeah. uh, uh, to play here. I know what you know we're seeing, for example, a significant investment in um, in improving diversity in clinical trials. I know the FDA recently came out with some guidance uh, for pharmaceutical companies. they They want to see some diversity plans. But, but so when it comes to trials or other roles the pharma and biotech can play, I see they're investing, but what's your take on that?
1: Well, same thing with pharma, they need to go back and look at the history and understand why there's hesitancy. Why does that exist? There's a reason for that and it's very justified, right? And that industry also needs to look at its own employee population because we will not move the needle until we have all kinds of folks working in pharma, right? Um, and that is going to help address the the distrust that's so rampant in our society. And again, back to what I was saying: the language matters, words matter. How are we actually reaching out to these? What does it look like? Is it authentic? I mean, communities are very very savvy. They're accustomed to, to exploitation and and being in, and just being used, frankly. And so they're very sensitive uh, to you know a, a one hit situation where we're going to come go into this community for a few months and do this and then we're gone. So how do we have long-term investments and work with communities? And again, how do we um, partner with communities? Again, the pharma industry should say we're going to do this for this community. That language, no one needs to say that. It's it's how are we going to partner with communities uh, so that our mutual goals can be met.
0: And I I think, Christopher, would you agree it's not it's not even just about with any company, not just about diversity in the employee base, but I think also about in leadership.
1: Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right, it makes a big difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, yeah, you know, Christopher. Yeah, a lot of people out there trying to navigate, uh, the, the, you know, a new world, a new level of, of of dialogue and understanding, which I think is great. And people want to be a partner in health equity. They want to be a catalyst for change. But I think folks are not necessarily sure how to do it. I think that um, I've heard people say. Well, I don't want to say anything because I'm too afraid to say the wrong thing. Or, you know, you talked about the importance of language. And, and, and so just for the average person out there to, to trying to make a difference how they're navigating the world, whether it's awareness of, of microaggressions, whether it's looking at other you know, issues around justice and how we kind of navigate the world. How, how can someone as an individual be a good partner and a catalyst for change?
1: I think the first step is recognizing that you have your own unique lived experience and that is your story and your story is your story and there's so many other people with a different story and so realizing that and again I'm going to go back to the word humility you know I only know what I've experienced in my life I cannot look at when I look at you Kim I, I can't I mean you have a very different lived experience than me and so if I want to if I were your provider or you were coming into my organization, I would take my hat off and listen. I have to listen to you and and build that relationship. And so folks should just look at each person uniquely and not have a one size fits all Or because you're part of this group then you think this where you act this where you have this going on. It's not like that. Each person is very unique. And so that's what could the community has told us they've said i don't feel like an individual when i come into this organization i feel like just a, another number or just trying to get you're trying to push me through the system no one's taking time to get to know me and listen to me and and so if we're truly committed to health equity that's the approach that that's how we should approach our work each and every day this willingness to learn about the individual that we're speaking to And when we're speaking to that person, no one else matters at that point. That's how that person should feel. Um, And that'll take us a long way.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, Christopher, I announced at the top of the show that you are the um, inaugural Dean (laughs) of the Georgetown School of Health. So congratulations on that, really excited. Uh, f- for that, just give us a little glimpse um, into your vision uh, for that role. You, you you mentioned earlier in the conversation thoughts about future leaders and how we're we're going to train these leaders differently, looking at things through a new lens. Just give us a little top line glimpse into how you're you're envisioning that role for yourself. And, and yes,
1: it's it's very exciting. It's a school of health. It's not a school of public health. It's not a school of population health. So people are intrigued by the name alone. Uh, it's a school of health because we are on a mission to establish a worldwide academically known um, uh, destination for advancing health. Um, And so the the, the Georgetown University School of Health will be focused on wellness, everything we've been talking about, right? It's it's wellness keeping people out of the hospital. What does it take? We're building a whole new generation of administrators and providers that, that have these competencies around humility, around cure, we call it cure personalities, cure for the whole person, care for the whole individual and really being disruptors, right? You know, I I, I, I see the school really pushing out uh, some intellectual um, pieces around disruption and what's needed to just sometimes blow some things up that we're doing and start from scratch um, because, you know, there's a lot that we're doing. It just doesn't make sense. And so you know, that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're focused on, wellness, prevention, uh, applying a holistic lens to how we think about health care, going from medical care to health care. So it's really exciting, really exciting to be in this space.
0: Yeah, and I, 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 uh, you're saying that makes me think about the World Health Organization defines health as not simply the absence of illness. Right. Right. but the presence of wellness. And right. it seems to me that's what you're getting at.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. That's, and, and and we're looking at our own identity and what we're doing internally as a school, right? We're, you know, I'm talking about, you know how do we make sure that the school uh, promotes wellness just in its own culture? You know, like you're not gonna hear from me on weekends. That's what I tell the faculty. And if you do, it's very, very important but that's very not likely to happen, right? And so we really need to practice what we preach as a school and so i'm I'm hoping that at some point folks will want to come over and see what we're doing and 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 go back into their own organizations and apply some of the, some of the innovation that we're that we will be focused on.
0: Great. Well, Christopher, so we certainly want to keep track of the work there, and we certainly hope you'll come back to continue the conversation. I'm so grateful that you've joined the show today. Um, your uh, experience, your insights um, are incredibly, um, valuable to our listeners and to all of us. We're excited about your new role. Um, and we're grateful for the examples that you raised and some of the tips that you've um, that you provided today. I wanna to thank our listeners for joining into the show today. This is Raising Our Voices for Health Equity. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. Please join us next time as we continue the conversation on how to build a more just and equitable healthcare system. Thanks.